are. It's the Data Protection Breakfast Club. I got my coffee here. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm Andy Dale, General Counsel of Alice. Um, uh, and Pedro Pavone is here from Salesforce. Uh, we're ready to episode talk. Episode two. Episode two. We're going to talk to Jules Palanetsky in a minute, uh, the CEO of Future Privacy Forum. Salesforce, I believe, is a member. Um, yeah. What, what do you think about the conversation? I know we'll talk about ad tech with him a little bit, although, you know, Alice is um, uh, not in ad tech, but uh, used to, I used to be in my previous uh, life. Yeah, no, I'll tell you two things. I think the future of Privacy Forum is such a great independent resource. And because it's led by Jules, it's so substantive, you know, like the things that start to bug me uh, or that start to kind of like intrigue me about uh, ad anything, whether it's ad tech really, but just privacy in general, um, they're always out ahead. You know, I'll start thinking, I remember a couple years ago, I was like, man, like this machine learning stuff's been around a long time, but I know it's gonna pop off. And I was on Twitter, like talking about it or whatever. And I turn around and FPF sending an announcement. They're like, hey, we've been thinking about this for six months. We're going to start, you know, conversation of working group, a committee, whatever. They're all, it's somehow, and I think, well, not somehow, it's Jules, but, but like that, they're always out in front of the issues and um, have been for a long time. And I also feel like everyone either knows Jules or I mean, everyone knows Jules, right? Like, I don't know. Do you remember when you met Jules? I remember the day I met him, but do. do you remember? Yeah, I met Jules at the Network Advertising Initiative board meeting set many years ago in Portland, Maine. He showed up with Trevor Hughes, the CEO of IAPP, just to speak to us. And they went through the backstory of, of the, you know, the, the beginnings of ad tech, all through self-regulation. And really what they were talking about in essence was how critical advertising and marketing and the data around it is for privacy as a whole, the growth of, of um, some of these privacy laws. It's, it's, it's very interesting how they, sometimes these technologies sit at the center and they talked a lot about that. It was super intriguing to hear them talk together too. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's, it's like Trevor and Jules in a room. That's gotta be an interesting vibe. Um, uh, I met Jules. I was a schmuck. Well, I'm still a schmuck, but I was like a nobody trying to figure out how to do this privacy thing. I was at the firm. So it was a long time ago. And I went to an FTC, you know, the FTC does these like workshops or whatever. I don't even remember what it was about. I, I genuinely don't. And I, so I go to this FTC workshop and Jules had, uh, uh, was, was in the audience. So he wasn't a participant, but he'd asked like some super sharp questions. I had no idea who he was, by the way, no clue. Like, I mean, I'm literally just new to ad tech. I had just left it. Um, my, my, my DOJ job or whatever. Anyway, and uh, I just approached him and I said, hey man, really appreciated those questions. It really sounds like you've got your bearings on this and you know, I'm kind of new to all this stuff and, and would be interesting to connect. And I, I don't remember if he gave me his business card or he, or he just told me his email address and we linked up and I obviously followed up and you know, fast forward a couple of years, I saw him for the second time at an IAPP summit back when they were small, like there was like, I don't know, man. I, there, there definitely weren't a thousand people there. Um, and, uh, and I saw him and obviously Jules is very easy to spot. Um, and so I went to go say hi. And even before I was able to say anything, like he remembered who I was and we had a great chat and like, you yeah. know, we always stayed in touch. And now obviously we all work together on a bunch of things, but in addition to being one of the most like substantive guys, right. And energetic guys about what we do, like, um, He's also one of the nicest people in the business. I, I think so. Like, you know, 
there's there's you know he's a he's got the common touch he's a deep intellectual and i just love working with him and i love picking his brain about this or that he always makes himself available i don't know how he finds the time to do it but he does it and uh, he's just an all-around awesome guy so i think we're like super lucky to have him on our podcast yep. and especially as our he's our first guest no yeah that, he's our first guest so so this is that's, a, that's a super- really really good conversation to start and uh he's really um he's really up there in the Rushmore of privacy. And so oh, yeah. great get for us. And, and all right, so we're ready to go. Here's our conversation with yeah. you. All right, here we are. Uh, Data Protection Breakfast Club, about to have our breakfast and talk privacy with some friends. <clears throat> our guest today is Jules Polineski, the CEO of FPF. Uh, Pedro is joining me, the privacy guru at Salesforce, and I'm the general counsel and uh, head of strategic partnerships at Alice. Um, we're, we're really psyched to have Jules here, so uh, we're going to get into it. The theme for the episode is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and the quote I love is, the question isn't what are we going to do, but what aren't we going to do? And I thought that sort of summed up Jules' career, uh, <laughs> doing many different things, wearing many different hats. And so I think that's where we'll start, Jules, just really quickly. Um, you know, tell us how you got so bored. Ask a question. Can I, can I, can I, can I jump? Can I jump in really quick, Andy? Just hey, really quick. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. For some reason, I always see that on airplane. I always watch that movie on on airplanes. I've probably seen it five or six times. I have no idea why that is, but it's always available and it's always suggested to me. But Jules, before we get into your like amazing career, um, you ever skip school? Did I ever skip uh, school? You mean like the Ferris yeah. Bueller thing? Yeah, you ever skip school? I I would actually name this uh, if I was in charge. Um, like Groundhog Day, because I feel like we wake up every day and it's the same debate that we've been having for 20 years and nobody's changing their mind and we're looking for like a way to kind of break out, right? Like actually do something that works for users or convince people that there's some, you know, role for uh, data and ads and we're having the same conversation, same conversation. And we got to like, I got to watch that movie again and like better understand how he like broke out. Like, right, he had to fix himself or he had to like, I don't know. We th- that's our path. What we got to watch that movie a couple of times, I think. Well, my I like that very diplomatic answer. I, you know, they didn't admit he skipped school, but I think he did. No, I was. Favorite, uh, my favorite part of Groundhog Day is when the insurance salesman keeps walking up to him, and finally he just punches him. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that, that's like maybe where we are with with some of these ad tech, martech, privacy questions. Like somebody needs to punch someone in the face, and and I don't know if that's some lawsuit or some big fine or something like that. But I mean, that's as good a place as any to sort of start talking. We can just jump right in. Sometimes things have to break before um, they're going to get fixed because we're locked in our ways. We're all locked in our ways. And it's very hard. You know, there's a famous expression um, uh, in Washington. It it goes like, don't ever try to um, change somebody's mind when their job depends on their mind not being changed. Right? Like, we're going to argue people whose bread is buttered in one particular direction, that they should like their bread without butter, right? And like, well, that's what I do. I work for bread and butter. And so um, we, we, let's figure it out. I think we can do it here. Let's figure the path why, out. Why is the cookie then being deprecated? Like that, that's a good, if that's how people's bread is. Here's done. the original sin. Let me tell you the original sin. And, and it's all the FTC's fault, okay? You didn't think I was going to blame them, but let me let me do that because I think it takes you to the beginning of, of my career because this was very confusing for me. You know, I was the Consumer Affairs Commission of New York City, and 
you know, my focus was enforcing New York's consumer protection law, which is very similar. It's like a mini FTC act, right? And I didn't know a lot about it when I came in. I was a state legislator and I focused on some consumer issues, but I never really, you know, got de detailed and looked at what is deception, what is it? But it was clear that the people who were responsible were the people who had the relationship, right? When I brought an action against Circuit City, I didn't like worry about their suppliers. It was like, you remember Circuit City? They were like the best buy of their day. When we brought an action against them, when I was Consumer Affairs Commissioner, it wasn't like what happened in the supply chain. It was like, you are selling stuff to people. You know what you're doing. You fix it because you're the store and people are paying you the money. And I come into, you know, AdTech in the early days of, um, of DoubleClick. And um, there's debate over this new business model, right? And I've come in, I'm the goody two-shoes. I've come in with the consumer affairs reputation and I'm like, okay, we're going to do everything right. And I say to Kevin uh, uh, Connor uh, and Kevin Ryan, the two Kevins, the, the, the leaders of DoubleClick at the time, you said that what I say goes, right? That was our deal. I'm reporting to the board and here's, and they said, well, here's the complication. We're not in charge of what all the publishers say to users. We ask them nicely. Um, we're a bigger player, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the way it was today. There were a lot of players. Uh, we don't get to say no business with you unless you do this in your policy. Let me tell you about an early meeting we had with Google. This is when Google was still search and really hadn't rolled out serving ads across a network. They had started and they were thinking it through, but they didn't really have ad serving technology. And so we had a meeting with um, uh, uh, Larry and with uh, Eric Schmidt and a guy named Omid Kurdistani. I think he was like the chief business officer or something at the time. And, you know, our co-founder who is the technologist, Dwight Merriman, now uh, MongoDB, and, you know, Kevin Ryan, you know, now obviously hugely successful entrepreneur. And they had heard that Larry Page, he like really cared about privacy. So just in case, even though this was really like a business deal to try to convince them we could serve ads fast enough because they were convinced that even though they didn't have any ad tech architecture, they were going to serve and do uptime bigger and better. And there's no way, but we were the big players. So we were going to convince them. Okay. But Jules, you come along because we heard that they care about privacy. So I come along and uh, nobody's talking to me. It's a business deal, you know, mostly. Uh, but um, one of the Google guys gets up to go to the bathroom. I stalk him out of the room because I figure, Hey, I'll ask him about privacy. And uh, you know, if, if that's something he's worried about. So I, I, sidle myself over to, um, to Paige. Um, yeah, I, I got to confess, as he was in the bathroom, probably not a good idea to be having those sorts of chats when people are, you know, doing their business. Not everybody wants to be chatty when they're, you know, taking care of business, but I'm like, you know what, it's my chance. Uh, so I kind of sidle in there and I say, listen, I hear you got, you know, concerned about privacy. If there's anything I can add, he says, yeah, well, ironic. why do you have all those web bugs? What's with all those web bugs? Why do you need, I said, listen, Perfect. I said, we don't like it that those are invisible and that people are calling those web bugs. We would be delighted if we do this deal with you to add a powered by double click disclosure, which would then go over and we could explain to them all the details and so forth. We do that. We do that on the Google homepage even, 
I, I didn't fully appreciate at the time it was like a religious thing of faith that there was nothing on that Google homepage other than like, I am lucky. There was no privacy link on that Google homepage at the time. If you remember, Epic filed a complaint and this and that, and Google didn't think that they were collecting personal information and they liked the page being like nice and clean. And, you know, it was an early California law that mandated that all online services that collect information have a privacy policy way back. Eventually they added a privacy link, but I thought I was brilliant. Like, hey, we'll, we'll make these web bugs visible, but I digress. What was the point? The point was that publishers were the ones who at the time really were in control. AdTech was not wagging the dog or anything like that. It was their site. They could tell you what was going on. And I said, awesome. I get this vision that the experience should be more personalized and it should be for the user. I said, so shouldn't the publishers kind of be designing that conversation? I, we, we can't even talk to people. We're like in the background there. Shouldn't they be saying, here's this tailored experience. Everything here is being designed for you. Our content, this, that, blah. And the publishers just weren't interested back then. They are now, right? But even then it's ad tech jumping through, sticking triangle eyes, jumping in through the background. My yeah. argument is- Now, Jules, they're not that interested. Like, are well, they? I mean, I, I guess I think that's an open question, right? Like, well, they're right. I, I don't know if they're interested. I mean, they're interested in some modicum of description or, or some modicum of uh, disclosure or, or something, but like nobody has, this is one of my pet peeves, nobody, at least on the publisher side or, or, or like saw other parts of the ad tech ecosystem as well, people aren't viewing it from the lens of the privacy of the consumer in the sense that they're not, they're not thinking about innovative ways. We're not innovating in that, that particular space yet. There's no like Let me defend innovation. Them. Here's why, but here's why that's happening because they don't see that ad experience, many of them, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of people out there. We can't talk all publishers and say, but for years, many of them learned to say, hey, we, we're in charge of this. Like we give you this great content. That ad over there, who sees the privacy policy of like some other player there? Cause I don't even know what happens there. In fact, I'm not sure that they're not stealing my data. I'm not super comfortable with it. It's over there, but they'll tell you what's going on, right? It, it's developed into this weird, and again, I get it from like the business point of view. This is how technology and business develop. But if you stick with your kind of consumer hat, did it ever make sense that you went to a site? And again, this all ties back to me when I was a consumer risk, which I was like, you are selling, you are telling people, I'm walking into your store, you're in charge of what's going on here, you figure out how to make it work. But yet because of we the way we've distributed everything, which has had great benefits, right? You don't need to be in the analytics business to put analytics on your site. You don't need to be in the ad tech business to have ads on your site. But as a result, it's not clear who's in charge of anything anywhere. And it ends up being so incredibly hard to actually fix anything. And then of course the platforms, let's bring everybody into it. They've got their view, right? And they want to be responsible for certain things, but they don't want to be responsible for the rest of it. So we've created this monster where nobody actually knows everything. Nobody's in control of everything, but to the consumer, I'm picking up my phone and there's like a thing there. And like, can't someone just tell me how to flip it on or off or give me some set of controls. And when you actually start explaining to somebody, well, there's the app, there's the app stores rules. There, there might be a browser. There might be a browser and an SDK. There might be multiple parties and third parties. And then it's an advertised. Oh my God, nobody's in charge, right? And then all of a sudden the laws don't care about who's in charge. The laws are just like, follow these rules. 
and our heads melt down. So we, I think that we are in, at the beginning of a re-architecting and it's been a death of a thousand cuts. And the reason I started out by blaming the FTC. The reason I blame the FTC is to go back to those early days of DoubleClick where you know I came after the Abacus merger when all the investigations were open. And I said, wait a second, why is this an investigation of DoubleClick? Because it seems like they're worried about what publishers or advertisers, because they were worried about you know tracking cookies and so forth that advertisers were setting on their sites. I said, why are they talking to us? Because if it's up to us, I'm on the other side of these deals. I'm trying to negotiate that they should put us in their policy. They should have a link. They should have an opt-out. They should be, they should only do, they should follow the NAI rules. And I'm shoving my compliance for what I know they should be doing. But if you, FTC, had focused on the publishers and advertisers and said, you know what? This is this new business. Here's what we think is the appropriate set of disclosures. You do it. You disclose it. We, we would have done whatever the advertisers and the publishers wanted, right? In fact, we were trying to get them to do more and more and more. Instead, the rules and the people who were leading the charge for all the rules, you know, when, when I came in and we uh, put together the network advertising initiative, I'm like, this is like a giant tail wagging a dog. We're coming up with rules for what we're going to not do. Or, yeah, we're going to tell you, we're going to put stuff in our privacy policy. and that's a, But the rules are primarily about what everyone else has to do in their policy. So it's been completely backwards and upside down. Yeah. Two questions. One is uh, to stick with your Circuit City uh, anecdote. Like when Circuit City existed, if you walk into a Circuit City uh, to buy or, or whatever, um, Circuit City has this duty of care to make sure that I'm, I'm safe and, and that nothing bad happens to me while I'm in there because it's a public place they make available. And there's all this body of law that says Circuit City is responsible generally if something bad happens to me while I'm in there. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but to the point you're trying to make, at least for me, kind of the consumer, I'm interacting with a brand who is the publisher. And I will think having an expectation that that publisher is going to tell me what's happening when I'm interacting with their site or their app or whatever is not unrealistic. It's reasonable, right? For me to think, okay, well, I'm on x.com and like this website's going to tell me what's going on, who's on there doing what with my data. I think you gave a great explanation of why it didn't end up that the publishers had to lead with disclosure, transparency, and, um, and liability around that area. Um, but then we get into, so my first question is, you explained how that happened and, and where the FTC is responsible. How can we undo that? And is it the right thing to focus back on publishers? That's question number one. Should we focus our energy on publishers, including who's responsible and who's liable? And then the second question is about the ad tech uh, space, right? So like all these, invis the invisible hand of digital advertising, which is the ad tech stack, um, I think there's some advantages to it remaining invisible because it can continue to do what it does somewhat unchecked or at least outside of the eyes of the consumer, particularly around some of the, the surveillance activities. How do we bring more attention in a way that consumers can understand about what's happening with all of these players that consumers have never heard of? So question number one, should we focus on publishers more with respect to liability and responsibility? And question number two, how do we raise awareness about the ad tech stack 
in a way that consumers can understand? Those are my questions. Well, I think the law has focused responsibility on the advertisers and publishers, right? Let's take CCPA mm -hmm. for a better or worse, right? Not that everybody else doesn't have their share of, of pain if they're also selling data, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm being forced, right? Like we should have fixed this ourselves a long time ago before Alistair McTaggart had to say, do it in my way with my words and I only care about sale. Oh, but I'll do another ballot initiative because I actually care about more than sale. And then in two years, I'm gonna sponsor the next ballot initiative where I'm gonna say, we actually don't only care about those things, we now care about those things, right? So I think the law at the end of the day is always most directly um, tailored to the people with the um, direct relationship with the consumer. And so many of the painful CCPA compliance issues were advertisers and publishers saying, oh, I don't sell data, but oh, wait, what the hell? I guess I do. Did I? Le leaving aside some of the bad drafting and that sort of thing, you know how many conversations people have had where they said, oh, no big deal. I don't sell data. Was, well, uh, I actually create segments with your data. What, what, what do you do? Uh, yeah, you agree to that. And here's why. And, and okay, technically it's a sale. So uh, exactly that's a sale. How is that a sale? Right? So I think the law at the end of the day, despite the fact that the ad tech and the intermediaries continue to sort of wag the dog to the reaction. And why do they wag the dog? Because it's their entire business, right? They care most about it, right? And publishers, they make money other ways, or they wish they could make money other ways, or they don't feel like it's 99% of what they wake up you know, doing because they wake up doing everything else. So at the end of the day, it is easiest for the people who actually understand how the technology works, where the data is really flowing, to kind of make life easy for advertisers and publishers. And not everyone's the New York Times, right? And has that leverage. Exactly, right? Most folks are like, just fix this for me, whatever, right? Make, make me, make, make it all work. Tell, tell me I'm complying with the law and, you know, and move on. So, so it doesn't end up changing as much as we'd like. But at the end of the day, I think whether it's GDPR or e-privacy, it is the publishers. And I think also, you know, you, you see the pain, right? It doesn't work. The, 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 the law and the business models ha have diverged so rapidly. And again, let me blame our regulator friends. When I rolled out behavioral advertising 20 years ago in, in Europe for um, DoubleClick with, you know, 80% of what's in GDPR when it comes to a lot of these issues was already law. And I was like, well, this is clearly all illegal. Like, how can anyone do this in Europe? And the business people said, well, everyone does this in Europe. I'm like, yeah, but not in Germany. They're really strict there. And I, you know, I'd go to Germany and I'd talk to the regulators and they'd say, oh, it was completely illegal. It got to be with express consent. And even then you probably can't consent to all these different purposes. And I was like, but I, everyone is doing it, right? And so I learned, well, don't ask questions that you don't want the wrong answer to. But at the end of the day, my argument is, Look, I'm not on the business side, right? You guys are on the business side, and, and we all maybe you know support the general you know notion that our businesses you know are doing reasonable things. But at the end of the day, we're trying to keep people out of trouble, right? And and we don't like strong laws that like block all kinds of commercial activity. But I tell you what, selfishly, if it's clear that it's not allowed, then we all go tell the business people it's not allowed. No one can do it. No one's going to do it. There's big penalties. Everyone has to stop go make money another way, right? And at the end of the day, advertisers are gonna advertise. The data, you know, the business ain't going away. It, but, but when others can do it and you can't, oh, then you'll, and it's not clear because there's not really enforcement. There's a, so my argument to the regulators is, 
and we don't ever, you know, on the FPF side, we don't lobby them. I'm like, if you hate it, stop saying you hate it, enforce it and do it. But you say you hate it and then you don't enforce it or you sort of enforce it or you force it only against Google or you force it only against this company or that company. Give me bright, clear lines. And I said, my people who generally are the chief privacy officer types of the world will throw their bodies to make sure that that, that they don't happen. But when you do a sweep and then you don't enforce and this and that, then they, and they see everyone else doing it and some companies can do it and not others you create this sort of nobody knows what to do and everyone's waiting for the ECJ to bring down a big decision saying, bam. Critical especially because the the larger players are so heavily entrenched in ad tech can withstand any regulatory pressure or action and, you know, go to the mat uh, to, to, to deal with it. And then the smaller long tail tech players will simply wait and see what happens. And they'll keep the, their, as you noted, their businesses depend on, it is their business. So like we're in this situation where we, we, we have, we're like the, the positions are locked at a mo- at the moment. Right. Look, but even the big players. And everyone is sort of complying and nobody's totally complying and, I think part of it is what Jules said, like it's not clear how to comply because there's no bold red lines or, or bold bright colored lines. And because there's inconsistent enforcement, right? So everyone's sort of in compliance. Because when these things come down, they talk to me and they say, uh, do we have to do this? Because if we do it, then everyone's gonna say, we are insisting on making the legal decisions for everyone else. But if we take the position that it's not consent, then the regulators are all going to go official because Google or Facebook or somebody said, you don't need consent, right? So they feel kind of damned if they do or damned if they don't. So we spend a lot of our time trying to train the regulators and not, again, not tell them what they ought to do. It's up to them. They're elected. They're appointed. All good. Understand how it works. Understand what the effects of your action are going to have. And if this is what you intend to do, do it, stick to it. And then people can go argue with legislators or, you know, point to, you know, the effects and that sort of thing. And, and you can, you know, update and you can, um, you can fix it. Half the DPAs will tell you they're not policymakers. They're just enforcing the law. But then the law left this vast amount of policymaking that they end up having to decide upon without necessarily, you know, a democratic or a legislative process, which they want to keep, you know, some distance from. So do you think Jules and Pedro, the same, the same kind of thing will play out with sale and CCPA? We, we don't have the same sh- regulatory structure. If you're, if you're asking me, I don't think we're going to understand CCPA until CPRA goes into effect and we look at it as a combined animal. Um, you know, the way Jules explained, like McTaggart's engagement in privacy is perfect. Like he's like, well, you guys don't want to do it. Well, you're going to do it my way. And I'm going to, I'm going to steamroll it through California, which is obviously a powerful jurisdiction to legislate or to regulate in. Um, but I think we won't know, Andy. I don't know, Jules, what you think, but I think we have to wait till the share sale discussion happens at the California new DPA level before we really understand what the implications of that law are going to be for Really. The programmatic ad tech stack and publishers, yeah. Yeah, and look for people who are supportive of this system developing in a way that's good for consumers, good for the economy, you know, good for companies. As I am, my complaint is that we are defensive and we're not proactive, and it's a death of a thousand cuts. You know, you keep reading stories about data leaking to third parties, and everyone's like, "Oh, that really wasn't supposed to happen." Okay, we'll fix it. Twenty years, right? 
this sort of thing is happening. Um, we are on the defensive. What should this look like? And how do we advance sort of a vision that does allow for robust use of data in ways that you know, support um, a, a, a competitive ecosystem, but also um, eliminate the fact that we've never convinced any human being outside of the industry that what's happening in ad tech is good for them. And I have never convinced any human being, right, when I've explained to them how it works, and I, get, I do it fairly, right, to sort of say, oh, okay, I'm now happy that I see the ads I see. I get that there's a you know, <laughs> certain margin being made and it's very efficient. And as a result, I get this free content. No, they're like, use an ad blocker, make it go away. Right. It's creepy. Well, you know what? Eventually the internet crushes stuff like that. Like we've all been doing, you know, we all believe in the internet, right? At the end of the day, things kind of end up working out for users because people figure out how to align things. It takes a while in ways users want. And with all this on-device capacity that Apple and Google are pushing, right, both to support ad tech as well as other machine learning, people are gonna start running more and more sophisticated stuff on their devices that give them more control of their experience, right? Look how we've unbundled the TV now, right? No, it may end up costing me more money than that big giant cable package, but everyone complained about that. I'm not a sports guy. It's like something wrong with me. My friends think they're, I'm, I, I do politics. I don't do sports, right? I'm like, why am I paying for all this sports stuff? I watch the Super Bowl, but I don't really watch anything else. Um, but I want to have all these independent channels and that sort of thing. Well, now it's like there, it's unbundled. It's all these nice things. And you know what? I'm happily paying for it somehow. And it seems to be, you know, right? So I, look, I think the um, Tim Berners-Lee and these others who are trying to advance these sort of user-driven internet sort of visions. I think at the end of the day, the technology and the devices are, are strong enough and powerful enough and the cloud you know, connections back and forth that users are gonna have a lot more control over what their bundle is online. Now, the competitive issues, who's bundling for me? Is it the big tech? Is it my ISP? Is it some collection of publishers? But look, I think Apple, Google, and some of these others, have some luxury in that they're playing a longer game than a lot of folks that are month to month, right? And I think when you see the Chrome changes, when you see the uh, those changes, I think this is the direction it's going. And there is going to be a role for sophisticated data. It's just not going to look like it is, you know, today. There's going to be a role for sophisticated data decisions. But I think the user experience is going to be much more like what you see uh, and converge around over-the-top services uh, on your various devices. Right now, there's so many things, Slack, Teams, Zoom, this, that. I think you're gonna see bundles. You see Apple starting to bundle things, Google's bundling, publishers, ISPs, people are gonna bundle this stuff. And I'm gonna get the, you know, my business day of the internet, because you know what? My son's upstairs, he started college. He's got his WhatsApp, he's got all kinds of things chiming. He's too old for parental controls, right? Me, I'm being distracted. Twitter is here, this and that. My Slack channel, right? I want to be in my business mode now with my bundle of business services, right? And like everything else. I, and I know I could spend three hours setting everything up and pausing it and snoozing it and notifying it. But you know what? Right now I got three screens. There's a cacophony of stuff distracting me, pulling me. LinkedIn wants this. This one wants to connect with me. I got to post it. My office is going to be on Zoom in a minute. Blah, blah, blah. I think that we're going we're gonna to see bundling and there's a role for data, but it's going to be painful and they're going to be winners and losers. And a massage app 
for relaxation with all that that activity. Need the massage after. <laughs> all right. Well, you, I, I know you got to go. Thanks for joining us, Jules. This was awesome. Pedro, any? I'll give you the last word. Any last thoughts here? Sum it up. No, I'm sure Jules skipped school. I'm positive. Just, I'm just positive. I skipped we'll an entire grade. I skipped. I blew through school. There it is. There it is. This I skipped an entire semester, I mean, and then I went to school abroad, and that counted for my U.S. stuff. So I blew through, and I and I regret it. I tell my kids, take your time, learn stuff. This is as good as it gets. I mean, not now. Zoom <laughs> not not Zoom college in your bedroom, yeah. but slow down. The rest of your life, you're like working, you're running around, and so, that sort of thing. Learn, build yourself then build the skills you need by taking the job that really teaches you stuff. Um, then go make your money, contribute, take care of your life, and then give back, give back, vote, contribute, you know, be involved in the community, be, use the stature and maybe the economics that you have to make a difference, right? Three stages, build yourself, school and your early activity, then make your living, take care of your family, do what you got to do, give back, give back. Love it. All right, guys. And I love how political, I love how actively political you've been in the last few months. Just, I certainly appreciate that very much. We need some big changes. So thanks for being a loud voice. Absolutely. Thank you both. Hey, guys. Later. Bye.